very convenient for me, actually. Um, all the talks that uh, yesterday and today kind of um, really absolved me of, of saying a lot that I've, I intended to say. Um, but I still have a lot more, um, unfortunately. Um, you know. But um, and I, I'll allude to some of these talks. Yeah, <laughs> that's a talk. Um, but the title of my talk, Poesis and, and, and Ritual Prayer in Ibn Arabi, um, I, I chose that title because um, at the end of the day, realization or tahqiq uh, in Ibn Arabi, ultimately dhikr, realization, tahqiq, everything that happens um, on the, along the Sufi path is secondary to uh, the fundamental ritual of the prayer, salat, for Ibn Arabi. And mainly the main modes of ibadah uh, and Sheikh al-Akbar but primarily Salat, because he, he elevated to such a high rank. And I'll, I'll try to um, convey part of that um, here today. Um, and the, 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 the word poesis is because for Sheikh al-Akbar, and I, I've narrowed down uh, a certain aspect or meaning of poesis in the sense of creativity or that which comes from being into being, which is one, one possible meaning of it, is for Ibn Arabi, it's the most creative act any human being can engage in. Forget about art, forget about anything you can imagine as creative. Uh, the ritual prayer, Salat, is the most creative um, uh, human act. Um, and what it procures, what it um, ultimately leads to, is the vision of God. Uh, prayer is that which um, provides the vision of God. Um, and it's in the context of the prayer that Ibn Arabi um, talks a lot about shuhud and ru'ya. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to explain later the distinction between shuhud and ru'ya, or contemplation and vision, because they're slightly different. Um, now, in the Quran, we, did, we hear that verily the heart did not give light to what he saw, i.e. he, Muhammad, The highest goal um, of, any, of the religious uh, life or homo religiosus is the beautific, beautific vision, to see the face of God. Um, and did not Moses ask on Mount Sinai, O Lord, show me thy face, that I may, may gaze upon thee? Yet how can one possibly see the real, al-Haqq, who has described himself as, there is nothing like unto him? How can the finite encompass the infinite who encompasses everything? Well, Muhit. If God in his essence is incorporeal or ineffable, hence invisible and formless, how can he be known, let alone be seen? It strains the intellect to even try to conceive it, and this ties into some of the discussions on intellect and haqqan. At issue is nothing less than an attempt to undo the strictures of contingency, by virtue of which, paradoxically, we assure ourselves of the illusion of presence. That is why the divine reply to Moses, "'You shall not see me,' came as swiftly as it was decisive." And if we are still in doubt as to the impossibility of seeing God, we are constantly reminded by Ibn Arabi of the Quranic verse that is no less unequivocal. Vision cannot encompass him, but he encompasses all vision. Which is echoed by the prophetic tradition where the Prophet was asked, Did you see your Lord? To which he replied, He is a light. How shall I possibly see him? The veil of power was still lowered. It is never raised. He is too great for the eyes to pronounce upon. Okay. However... Um, the Moses, Kalimullah, as he is known in tradition, desired more than just an intimate conversation with God. For the desire to gaze upon the face of God remains the uh, ultimate objective of the spiritual life, and the hidden treasure yearning to be known demands it. It is reported that during the Prophet's uh, ascent, Isra' al-Mi'raj, journey and ascent, Isra' al-Mi'raj, in which Muhammad was carried over through the seven heavens, he had an intimate conversation with God at the uh, station of proximity, Maqam al-Qurba, in which he saw God, according to certain, certain traditions. Um, according to the Quranic verse, verily he did not give light to what he saw. During the encounter with the Prophet, um, the Prophet, uh, during the encounter with God, the Prophet was gifted with the ritual prayer. 
It is that the highest maqam that the Prophet was gifted with ritual prayer, which he then went about teaching it to his companions, um, upon, uh, which became incumbent upon every Muslim. Of course, now Gabriel came down later to teach the Prophet ﷺ the details of how to perform the prayer, but it was in that, at that maqam, al-Qurba, um, in the proximity of God, that he was given this, this gift. Now, uh, for Ibn Arabi, the ritual prayer, uh, if the fact that the ritual prayer was revealed at such high uh, maqam, the, st the station of the lotery, maqam and sidra, um, is very significant. For him, the, gift, the, the ritual prayer is a gift. It is the form of worship that brings the servant to the station of proximity. It's the only form of worship that raises the servant to the station of proximity, which is the highest station of the friends of God. Invo invoking Quranic verses, prostrate and, and draw near, and those who are always drawn near. Ibn Arabi says, among the acts of worship, there is none that brings the servant closer to the station of those drawn near to God, al-muqarrabun, than the ritual prayer, in which there is both intimate dialogue, uh, munajat, and shuhud, contemplation. In regard to this characteristics of the ritual prayer, Ibn Arabi relates a very a visionary conversation where God describes to his angels his servants drawing near through the ritual prayer. Um, and he says, O oh, my angels, I brought you close from the very beginning of, uh, by making you the elect of my angels. But look at my servant. I place between him and the station of proximity many veils, immense obstacles, such as the preoccupations of the carnal self, sensual desires and passions. Yet my servant has cut through all of that and continued to exert himself until he has prostrated himself and drawn near and has become one of those drawn near, al-Muqarrabun. So my angels, look at how I specially, specially favored you with the dignity of your station, the proximity, even though I did not test you with these obstacles, nor obligate you with the undergoing of their pain. Know then the special rank and dignity of this servant, and give him all that is due as a result of what he has undergone and suffered along this path towards me and for my sake. And I, I owe the finding of this quote to, to Jim in his book on spiritual intelligence. Uh, now, the, the, this question of proximity is the most singular aspect that elevates the ritual prayer above all other modes of prayer. Oh, I'm running out of time. It's too quickly. Okay, the, the, so that is why, according to Ibn Arif, the Prophet describes the ascent of the believer um, as a mi'raj al-mu'min. The ritual prayer is the ascent of the believer. He also says that the coolness of my eye has been placed in the ritual prayer. And the ritual prayer is light. He doesn't say this about any other uh, mode of worship. All of which suggest a possibility of vision. In fact, all of which suggest that the locus classicus for the, for the vision of God um, is, is, is the prayer. Indeed, the vision of, Ibn Arabi, uh, of God for Ibn Arabi is not inseparable from an axiom which, according to Shotkevitz, uh, um, uh, in Akbarian doctrine, governs all methods of spiritual realization. In accordance with the hadith of the Qudsi, I was a hidden treasure, I love to be known, the knowability of God extends to vision. Otherwise, the Prophet ﷺ would not have exhorted us, according to Ibn Arabi, to beg, I beg of you the joy of seeing your face. All this reflects the spiritual economy, uh, the, the centrality of prayer in the spiritual economy of Islam. Now, of course, Koban uh, has written a book about this, and I'm not sure whether I should engage with Koban at this point, but I, I wanted to um, just quickly, for those who have... Has anyone read Koban here the, on creative imagination? Everyone has? Okay, because he's going to come in with a bit, for a bit of a bashing. But uh, he, Koban performed a wonderful task uh, in his text, and I owe, I, I owe um, a lot to Korban. But having read the Futuhat um, on Kitab al-Salat, I realized that he didn't even rely on, on, on the largest 
a significant chunk of um, discussion on ritual prayer in the Futahat. He relies on a small part of the Fusuls, ignores over 200 pages in the Futahat on ritual prayer, which was very surprising when I found out uh, after having read the Futahat. Um, so that's one of the issues that um, um, kind of uh, is problematic with Qurban scholarship. But the, the, the other major issue is um, the fact that Qurban um, neglected the very important, what I call, Muhammadan inheritance or Muhammadan investiture of the ritual prayer. The, this has serious implications for his comparative method of finding spiritual affiliations between Ibn Arabi and other figures. The fact of the matter is that the perfection of the ritual prayer presupposes a Muhammadan investiture, i.e. following the Prophet and, and the law that he laid out. This means that comparing ritual prayer to other modes of worship, no matter how comparable they may be, does not confer upon them the same transformative and providential power and grace. And this is, the, this is how Ibn Arabi talks about it. Um, although Ibn Arabi does often compare ritual prayer with the injunction to worship God as if you see him to a Christian icon worship or uh, pagan worship, etc., nonetheless, he is quite clear about the superlative nature of the ritual prayer in its Muhammadan form. But particularly when it is perfected by performing it in the manner in which it is prescribed by the, by the law and exemplified by the Prophet. I have identified two, three other issues um, with Qurban, and I, I think it will help structure my paper. One is that uh, everything that unfolds uh, unfold within the ritual prayer, according to the way in which it is prescribed by the law, is very essential and paradigmatic for the ultimate vision of God in the ritual prayer. For example, sincere intention towards God, a niyyah, khilasun niyyah, tawajjuh, facing the qibla, the prescribed movements, harakat as-salat, intimate dialogue, creative imagination and contemplation, all these rely on... Uh, performing them in the mode in which they were revealed by the law and exemplified by the Prophet ﷺ. And I've, I've called this aspect of the ritual prayer which involves the body, the human body, and the presence of the heart, the creative matrix of the body. I've, I've identified three creative matrices which are very essential that mediate or uh, intermediaries for the ultimate vision of God in the prayer. And the first is the body. And Ibn Arabi has a lot to say about the body. The second is what I call the creative matrix of the divine word. What, whatever creative power conferred upon the creative imagination in the ritual prayer, it is a result of operating within the ambience of the creative power of the divine word. The Quran is what confers upon um, the ritual prayer its creative power. Uh, that's the second thing that um, I think Qurban underplayed a lot. And in addition to that, um, the importance of not just the body being oriented towards Mecca, but the aql being oriented towards Mecca too. And the reason why the aql has to be oriented towards Mecca, and I'll explain this in a minute, is because when aql sub, um, submits itself to the tashbih that God subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and the delimitations revealed in the law, uh, it has become receptive enough to re uh, receive the meanings of the Quranic recitations during the ritual prayer. So he, only, he, he says not only that the body should be oriented towards the Kaaba, but contradictory to rational discursive reasoning that can't understand why God is in the direction of the Kaaba, it must submit to that kind of delimitation, which is a revealed delimitation. And the third, that I've called this the creative matrix of the divine word. And the third creative matrix is the creative matrix of the imagination. These three intermediaries inter, uh, uh, act as intermediaries, one after the other, or simultaneously, to mediate ultimately the vision of God. Okay, so this, this will offer a, par a partial structure to uh, the, um, the, the, the talk. I want to, just one minute, two or two minutes, um, on the importance of, um, of Muhammad, because... No one actualized the state of Ubudiyya that Muhammad uh, spoke about. Muhammad Rustam, where is he? Oh, no one actualized the state of Ubudiyya more than uh, the Prophet um, Muhammad. 
And for Ibn Arabi, no shara' or law before Muhammad uh, embraces or, or, or is characterized by this unique, all-embracing quality of compassion. Ibn Arabi uh, enumerates several different characteristics that, 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 that distinguish the Prophet of all other Prophets. Um, yesterday, I think the Hakik al-Muhammadiyah was mentioned. Um, but uh, uh, Muhammad, com Muhammad and compassion is a very important point. Muhammad and light, Nur al-Muhammadi. I'm not going to get into any detailed discussion of these. Uh, and Muhammad and law. And, and the reason Muhammad and law is, is, is a very important part of, um, of this aspect because it is because um, Muhammad Sallallahu is such a perfect human being that his law has come as the most perfect law that embraces and encompasses all the laws before them. And therefore, the mode of worship revealed to Muhammad Sallallahu then, then possesses also the highest form of offering the vision of God. So in, in, in terms of the function of the creative imagination and the contemplation of God in the ritual prayer, Ibn Arabi construed its specific and unique mode of contemplation as constituting its specific superlative nature, its uniqueness vis-à-vis -vis the Muhammadan investiture. And uh, later in the, in the seminar, I'll clarify how he compares it to icons and what he has to say about creativity and, and images, and etc., etc. Um, I want to illuminate very quickly uh, some of the characteristics that characterize the ritual prayer. First of all, taking his cue from the hadith of the Prophet, prayer is light, Ibn Arabi elaborates a very profound ontological, metaphysical, phenomenological understanding of the ritual prayer um, and its relationship to light. The ritual prayer is the, worst, the, the, the mode of worship that is under the ruling property of the divine name, the light. Every, every mode of worship has a relationship to a specific name. But the prayer has a relationship to the divine name, the light. And just to summarize everything I have to say about this, light, uh, if you know from Ibn Arabi's metaphysics, is what bestows existence when, it, uh, when the light uh, flows over the ayana thabita, the, the immutable entities, and confers existence. And by conferring existence, it also shatters non-existence and removes uh, all forms of ignorance. And so, by, 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 by relating the, the ritual prayer to uh, the existentiating power or the exist, existence-conferring power of light, he's establishing a very interesting correspondence that no other mode of worship possesses. Um, the other thing that prayer does, it, it, stills, it dispels darkness. Um, and um, the, 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 um, the effect of that is that the, worship, the worship, mode of worship called prayer is the only mode of worship that closes off all the doors onto the profane world. If you're fasting, you can fast while performing everyday activities. If you're performing hajj, you're partially dispersed or doing other activities. But the prayer is the only one that mobilizes your entire being. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your senses, your body, uh, every other aspect about you. Which is why it provides a paradigmatic way in which to mobilize um, um, perfection and, and tahqiq. Second, the ritual prayer is the only mode of worship that corresponds to the, the entire cosmos. And he talks about how all the movements of the prayer correspond to the movements of the planets, how the prayer corresponds to the movements of animals and the vegetative and the minerality, etc., etc. A sympathetic rim, rhythm between the ritual prayer times and um, the, um, the movement of the planets. The uh, correspondence between the number of prayers, five, and the human constitution, five, and the symbolism of five, um, etc. The ritual prayer is also a form of dialogue, munajat, with God. Uh, taking his cue from the hadith of the Prophet, uh, the Prophet says, ritual prayer is an intimate discourse, uh, munajat. Again, the ritual prayer also, this relationship to light suggests the most important aspect of ritual prayer. In the same way that light confers existence on the ayan, and therefore things are able to distinguish themselves from other things by perceiving other things, they're also able to see, see God. So light not only confers existence but vision. Therefore, the, prayer, the ritual prayer which is under the property of the divine name light is what procures and, 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 and confers upon the believer or the, the, um, the lover the image of the beloved, i.e. contemplation and shuhut.
Okay, uh, thank you, Muhammad Rustam, for absolving me of the 10 pages on the heart. Um, I, want, I can get into now to a very quickly, uh, very quickly, looking at that watch, this clock is depressing me. Um, the, the, at the beginning of prayer, at the beginning of the ritual, look, I'm going to overshoot, I'm saying it from now, I can't really make the four, four o'clock deadline, but um, when, the, when, the, when a person begins the, the ritual prayer, he does the ikama. So this, Ibn Arabi pours the entire uh, batin of his entire system back into the main rituals of, of, of Islam revealed by the Prophet. When you, the ikama is basically the call to prayer, qadqama to salat, qadqama to salat. Um, and the actual meaning of qadqama, Ibn Arabi says, is the ritual prayer, it's, ikama means to set up. And, and interestingly enough, Ibn Arabi says, when you say qadqama to salat, you're using a past tense. Why are you using a past tense for something you haven't performed yet? And Ibn Arabi says, the ritual prayer has been set up and you say it twice before, and the past tense suggests that the expression is indicative of something extremely important and echoes the hadith of the Prophet. One is in the ritual prayer as long as he is waiting for it. He also has another profound meaning. The setting up of the ritual prayer is completing its configuration and perfecting it. Before the worshipper even enters upon the ritual prayer, he has already implicitly announced that he shall perfect and complete its configuration. And Ibn Arabi uses this word, when you perform a ritual prayer, you're configuring something. You're about to create something. Therefore, when the worshipper begins the ritual prayer in the standing posture, at the very beginning of the ritual prayer, his standing posture contains within it, in potentia, the perfect form of the ritual prayer, its completion. It, it only awaits the, the worshipper's setting up of his configuration to bring it out and realizing it. In, his creative act, in this creative act, According to Abad, it corresponds to the alif, the first letter of the alphabet, of the Arabic alphabet, which is the root, the asl of all the letters. The alphabet, the, the, the alif, is that which comprehensively gathers within its essence all the letters um, of the alphabet. And all the all the all the latter uh, letters are merely degrees and ranks or loci, manazil, of the letters as they emerge and journey from the heart to the tongue. Likewise, the word of God that unfolds from within the divine kun and which gathers within it all the degrees and ranks of existence from the first intellect to the minerals, likewise, the standing posture comprehensively gathers within it all the postures of bowing, prostration, and sitting. So before you even start at the ritual prayer, you're, you embody within you the entire perfect configuration of what you're about to create, which is ultimately the image of God manifesting in, in, in ritual prayer. Uh, and if you can complete it, according to the conditions of the law, as perfected by the Prophet ﷺ, you ultimately participate in a divine creative process of creating the image of God in the ritual prayer. In the same way that uh, God is uh, perpetually manifesting in creation, you insert yourself into the divine la tikrara fil khalq and the khalq jadid when you insert yourself into the ritual prayer and, uh, and, and perform it perfectly. So, <clears throat> this... Uh, and Ibn Arabi often compares this act of creating the ritual prayer, configuring it, it, it to the um, act of taswir. And he often compares it to the creative capacity of, of Jesus to form a bird, a, a bird out of clay, the Quranic example, and then to breathe into it life. This is, this is the creative power of the ritual prayer. And, and therefore, um, when, the, when a worshipper actually performs the ritual prayer according to the conditions, the, believing, the believer, according to Ibn Arabi, says, breathes, nafakha, he breathes or into it, i.e. The, the ritual prayer, a spirit, ruh. And it comes to life. The prayer comes to life. Now, we, uh, not every worshipper is able to witness the various creations created during the ritual prayer. But al-Arif uh, is able to witness it. 
But the most supreme uh, creation of the ritual prayer is ultimately the vision of God in the Qibla. Because according to the hadith of the Prophet, in Allah fi Qibla kul musalli, God is in the Qibla of every musalli. And Ibn Arabi has a lot to say about that. Um, so I want to focus here now on the first creative matrix. The first intermediary that helps actualize the ultimate vision of God. The first is what Ibn Arabi calls hudur al-qalb. Uh, yesterday, uh, something similar was referred to as mindfulness. But uh, Ibn Arabi here refers to it as hudur al-qalb. Now, how do we actualize hudur al-qalb? As, as a mode of worship, the ritual prayer that cuts off the worshiper from every other concern but God, the ritual prayer provides the paradigmatic manner in which to comport oneself towards being in the divine presence, i.e. to be in the present, in the presence of the divine present. For how to instill this state of presence? And Abu Arabi says, the ritual prayer was not instituted except for this purpose, i.e. the presence in the ritual prayer, al-hudur. Ritual prayer is the site within which hudur uh, is, is maximized to its, to its full. Now, how does one achieve this? The first is the body. It's very important. Um, sp- Islamic spirituality is based on an embodied spirituality. It, it, the focus on, on, on the body is very important. And Goban neglected a remarkable doctrine of, of limbs in Ibn Arabi. Ibn Arabi has one of the most remarkable understandings of the human limbs I've ever come across in any philosophy. And, I, and I've read a lot of books. I used to be a nerd when I was young. Um, remarkable understanding. I'm not going to get into the limbs right now, but all I want to uh, illustrate here is that the heart, Ibn Arabi says, the heart and the limbs are intertwined. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad translation. Maybe someone can help me with it. He says, They're a mixture. They're, they're like this, intertwined. The limbs assist the heart through action, while the heart assists the limb through sincerity. And he unpacks that in a remarkable way. Um, commenting on a Quranic verse, uh, assist one another in virtue and piety, Ibn Arabi says, that which preserves an action Al-hafiz li al-amal is hudur. That which preserves a certain action is the amount of hudur al-qalb you have in that action. Okay, over... Um, okay. Um, maybe we can... I hope someone can ask me this in one of the sessions because I really want to come back to his understanding of the limbs. The limbs are independent of, of, the, of the soul. You have no control over them in, in many ways. They're actually... God's um, representatives in your body. That's why the Hadith al-Qudsi of the Nawafil, it says, I will become the ear with which you hear, the eye with which you see, the hand. He doesn't say, I'm going to become your intellect, or I'm going to become something else. It's your, it's your limbs that God becomes one with. And I think it's in uh, or somewhere in Seth, where he says that um, God and your limbs are one, but you are veiled from them. But we talk about that later. Now, the other thing is, um, the first thing you start with in the prayer, as you enter into prayer, a niyyah. You perform the niyyah to perform the ritual prayer. And Ibn Arabi says, presence in the ritual prayer is nothing but the intention accompanying every single part of it. A niyyah, istishab, every single part of the ritual prayer, from entering into the ritual prayer uh, until leaving it. And he often describes uh, uh, performing the niyyah as like uh, um, um, spirit that animates a body. The niyyah is not such something that you utter uh, outwardly before you enter into a ritual prayer. It actually determines the entire hidden creative matrix of the action you're about to perform. It aligns all of creation, yourself with creation and creation with you, and prepares um, uh, you for, for um, the, the remarkable unfolding of creation within your um, ritual prayer. He has, a, he has a very lovely understanding of um, relating khawathir to, um, 
and, and Himma to um, the, uh, the, the Niyyah. Um, but just to summarize, uh, according to Ibn Arabi, an intention then is merely the intensity or energia of the heart directed towards something or an affair. It is the life or spirit of a certain action. And he I often comments about what he call, those he calls a niyatiyun, uh, where he explains that the relation between a niyat and an action is like the relationship between water and what the earth produces. Um, an invisible bond then connects an intention with the object of that intention, which invests the object with a degree of reality depending on the strength and insincerity of the intention. This subtle invisible bond between intentions and what is intended is so important that an action intended for one thing cannot be adequate for another. This is really important. But Arabi says, if you compose um, prayer in praise of a beloved woman for carnal reasons whatsoever, and then you use that same prayer and intend by a God, it doesn't work. Somehow, that act and what you've produced is already tarnished in ways, alam al-ghayb, that we can't see. And so, the moment you engage in an action, for it to be sanctified, it has to be uh, accompanied, it's this hal, by this, by this niyyah, which, uh, which, which sanctifies that, that particular action. Um, okay, moving on. Therefore, there is a mutual imbrication, to use an anthropolo- anthropological term, between the heart and the limbs, where, as we saw in, uh, earlier, the heart and the limbs are intertwined. The limb assists through action, the heart assists through insincerity. Um, However, uh, an intention is not just an internal thought directed at a certain action, but intentions are actually the, cre- the creative in the sense that they ultimately define the entire hidden creative matrix that underpins physical action. And the reason why I emphasize this is because Korban begins his analysis of creativity in Ibn Arabi too far downstream um, of, of the Salat. He doesn't talk about niya much. He doesn't talk about all these movements. He doesn't talk about uh, all the uh, prescriptions of the law. He, he focuses on himma and then the imagination. But well, well upstream of Korban's analysis begins the creative process. The moment you're entering into prayer, you, you're putting into motion the entire, um, the entire process. Um, and this corresponds to the kun, as we said. The kun corresponds to this uh, niya of bis- bismillah and starting the ritual prayer. Uh, the, second condition, uh, the, the, the second condition in the body, the creative matrix of the body, is facing tawajjuh and fixing the eye on the qibla. Um, and I'm going to have to only mention that and not really talk about it. Um, it's fascinating how he talks about um, images uh, visualizing in front of um, the Qibla. Just to comment very quickly, um, means um, partly derived from istikrar, uh, i.e. the fixation of the eye on the Qibla. So, niya, fixing the eye on the Qibla, the direction towards the Qibla, then come perfecting the movements of the ritual prayer, which corresponds to the movements of creation and creativity. And uh, once again, um, it, he talks about here how the body has to become like, um, uh, like a dead body in the hands of a coroner. Purely passive. But it's a passive action. It's actively passive and passively active. Um, one has to realize al-ubudiyah. Because once you perform that sujood, you return into your minerality, the ard, the turab. And you, act, you can only properly do that if you actualize um, your, your ubudiyah. So just as the movements of creation enact the kun of the divine fiat. And just as the ayan al-thabita show no hint of disobedience whatsoever to the divine command, the movements of the ritual prayer provide a paradigmatic moment in which the servant enacts the movements of a higher order. The movements of the ritual prayer are homologized with the cosmos, a higher order rhythm. The spatial homologizations of the ritual prayer therefore align the body and one's entire being with the creative cosmogonic act. This is based on the correspondences that Ibn Arabi establishes between them. 
The ritual prayer aligns man's act and movement for the duration of the prayer cycles with the higher world, thereby inserting man into the archetypal creative process and divine paradigm. Um, and I'll, I'll have to talk about a little bit about that later. But we have qiyam, standing, bowing, um, ruku', uh, sujood, prostration, and sitting. All these have uh, profound correspondences in Ibn Arabi's, um, um, Ibn Arabi's understanding and system. By prostrating, one is turning, returning to one's ultimate root, etc., etc. Hakim um, al-Tirmizi, okay, we can't talk about you right now. Um, ultimately, uh, this is an interesting uh, reading of an Arabi. The worshipper who by this point has deployed all his limbs in the precise manner in which the law has prescribed them and the precise manner in which Muhammad Sallallahu exemplified them, he is bound to be so immersed in his body in the ritual prayer that he becomes paradoxically heedless of it. Now the Quranic understanding of the word sahin means that someone is not paying attention to his prayer. He's, but Ibn Arabi turns that meaning on its head. Well, he doesn't exclude it, but he turns it on its head. He says that the, the true sahin it means that he who, who is heedless of everything else but it. Full immersion and presence in the ritual prayer means absence from, the, absence from self, the world, and even one's bodily movements. Paradoxically, the full presence of the heart means full involvement of the body until the heart sinks back into the body, which has become passive in the hands of God who moves it. Thayyip. Uh, um, and the last aspect of the ritual prayer that illustrates this mobilization of the body is Arabic understanding of imama. Uh, in the ritual prayer in, in, in Islam, uh, you pray uh, salat jama'ah, congregational prayer. Um, you need maximum minimum of two to three, four, depending on which, uh, which uh, school of law. But Arabic redefines imama here. He says, you are the imam at the head of three kinds of con- congregations. I'm going to summarize them very quickly. The first is the congregation of your limbs. When you say, iyaka na'budu, the alone, the we worship. Ibn Arabi says, who's this we? Well, it means three things. You're at the head of your limbs, so you have better aligned them, because you better be imam of your limbs. If you perform one action in your prayer, or anything in your prayer uh, that is not under your uh, control, or is not mobilized towards ibadah, then you're lying to God, Ibn Arabi says, because you're not fulfilling the promise of iyaka na'budu. You're not we worshipping, maybe one aspect of you. The second we is... You're at the congregation, you're at the head, or you're the imam at the head of a host of angels that pray behind you. And the third imama is that when you're praying alone with God. And then he, 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 goes, he moves on to a, a remarkable discussion, which was reminiscent of Plotinus's famous phrase, alone with the alone, whereby when you perform the ritual prayer alone, it is really, really ultimately God praying to himself, and in the fana of the, of the abad, the, 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 um, disappears. In any case, let me just summarize quickly this first intermediary. Ibn Arabi emphasizes the body, particularly the limbs. It is precisely because it is the mortal, finite human body which bears the first aspirations and the primary burden of the spiritual life and tahqiq. The fulfillment of spiritual awareness requires a process that works through the limbs, which binds and transfigures them simultaneously. If there is one consistent theme in the paradigm of perfection and the spiritual life, according to Ibn Arabi, it is the role of the entire human being in spiritual perfection. Unless one's entire being is aligned with the higher project of spiritual perfection, he cannot accomplish it. The ritual act of prayer then essentially is a phenomenological epoche aimed at achieving apotheosis, a metamorphosis of the human being. The ritual prayer suspends the natural attitude of the body, suspends, that is, its natural movements, postures, gestures, and preoccupations in order to facilitate the emergence of a deeper convergence, that of jama'ah, over tafrika. 
The worshiper is preoccupied with the perfection of every single gesture and every single movement. No cell or fiber, or fiber of his being is left untouched in the process. The body is bowed, bent, prostrated, the limbs folded and stretched, the various organs and sensoria or the gateways of, of, of perception and awareness are clean, cleansed, deeply relaxed, and opened afresh to the divine presence in the present, which surrounds the worshipper, so that, so that his entire being is now worshipping God. Uh, what you call that in Arabic, uh, wahed. You know, in, in ritual prayer, you have to stand a wahed, a single line and fold when you're worshipping God. Well, your whole body and alignment and everything, your entire being has to be standing as one single rank. Um, Without the limbs and the body bearing the first aspirations of spiritualization, neither the creative matrix of the divine word, which is intimate dialogue, nor the creative matrix of the, of the imagination, which Corban is obsessed with, is possible. Uh, and now I move on to the uh, second intermediary. And I only have five minutes for... Um, I've only covered half my talk. Um, very quickly, very quickly... Um, Okay, so during tea time, I'll sit here by myself and talk, and if anyone wants to... Just... <laughs> um, right now, I've risked my train of thought. Where was I? Um, okay, so uh, the, the second... The, the, the thing I want to talk about now is... and, and uh, You're all familiar with, with Ibn Arabi's understanding of the divine kun and all of creation being crystallization of the divine word. Right. So, okay, excellent. So, bye-bye. Yeah. Um, all of creation is the articulation of the divine breath, etc., etc. But Ibn Arabi says, although all creatures receive divine speech, everything around us is divine speech, but we don't always hear it. Um, now, although we all see, hear the divine speech, or actually we receive it, uh, man, uh, because we are um, sometimes uh, in ghafla, we don't always hear it. Um, and we don't understand it. And for Ibn Arabi, faham. Uh, his understanding is very essential um, to spiritual intelligence. Um, and thank you, James, for wonderful um, chapters on that in your book. Uh, wherever there is listening, there is an understanding of something uh, of speech um, and something said. Um, again, aql here has to submit. Um, and um, the kind of submission it has to perform is that um, uh, just as the limbs are oriented towards the qibla and comported in a specific manner, likewise reason has to has to have its proper orientation and comportment, according to Ibn Arabi. All those philosophers and theologians who thought otherwise were deeply mistaken. They misunderstood the Quranic injunction to think. Both reason and the senses are, are, are to a certain extent, um, um, bound, actually not to a certain extent, to a large extent, bound by this prescription of orientation. Right? Um, so there's the tawajjah of the body towards the Kaaba, and there's the tawajjah of aql towards the, uh, the, the Kaaba. The delimited orientation towards one single dire direction, according to the Arabi, is to remove all perplexity and distraction. The dispersal of reason and the body is their respective iltifat, looking away, as it were, from the direction of the Kaaba. Now, for the body, it is the preoccupation with other affairs. You know, if you're not directed towards the Kaaba, the body, if you're directed towards other directions, you know, we can understand how the body can be dispersed and not oriented towards the Kaaba. But what does that mean for Akan? For reason, it means that through its preoccupation with reasoning or atikad concerning God, it is often uh, directed against um, a God. The Quranic injunction to reflect then is an invitation to apply reason's powers unfettered, but within the light of full light of revelation. So that 
so that by, by, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the worshiper orients towards the Kaaba and prostrates the body, the aql in his prostration and submission to, 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 to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, can receive the welling up of meanings of the Quranic verses. Because when the worshiper is, 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 is performing the ritual prayer, every single bodily movement is accompanied by a very specific um, uh, utterance. Ibn Arabi says it can only be an utterance revealed to us by God. We don't know how we can possibly communicate with God properly. So God's compassion is such that he has revealed the Qur'an and he's told us exactly by how we can communicate with him so that we can have adab, um, you know, uh, proper courtesy in the, in the divine presence. <clears throat> okay, bye-bye. Um, in the Tanazulat, he has something really interesting. He says, Aqal, this is a quote from um, um, uh, uh, Michael Chodkipi's translation, Aqal, face your place of prayer that he might recite his word upon you. Leave your belief, i'tiqad, there. Do not reflect while he is speaking to you. Do not think about your response. Awakal, purify the garment of your secret and place in the place of your heart so that God may disclose himself to you. Um, and then he, he, he has a wonderful understanding of, um, of, of, of the notion of ummi, spiritual literacy, uh, which we can't go into right now. Um, but what I want to say here is every movement of the prayer is accompanied by this configurative power of the divine word. And I call this the creative matrix of the divine word. If the ritual prayer is a light that dispels darkness, it is because it deploys the energies of the divine word, which dispel the darkness of the entities and their non-existence. This is why the worship um, begins, Allahu Akbar, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, etc., um, in the ritual prayer. And um, also, um, um, okay, so invoking the name of God in the form of the basmala, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, at the beginning of the prayer, has a very important um, aspect of Arabi, a very creative, special power. In fact, Ibn Arabi establishes a correspondence between the creative and existentiating power of the divine kun and the existentiating and creative power of the basmala. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In both instances, there is something created. When you say Bismillah, even on any, any action, we don't realize it, but something's, a creative process has kicked in motion. Of the basmala, Ibn Arabi says, it is to the servant's creative power, taqween, what kun is to the real. But this creative power actually belongs to God, who has become the hearing and the seeing of the, of the, of the worshiper. Um, he has a remarkable uh, understanding um, of the munajat that happens within the ritual prayer and even the moments of silence. And the silences in the ritual prayer are not uh, negative, but they actually articulate being as much as the articulation of the words themselves. Um, and then there's the, the, the munajat that occurs and happens in the ritual prayer. Um, <clears throat> Moving on quickly now to the the real part of the, of, of the of the talk, which is the relationship between the ritual prayer and light. And I have one minute left, but um, at the beginning I invoked the the, the, the the fundamental relationship between ritual prayer and light. And Ibn Arabi uh, now we flesh out some of these um, implications. Um, Ibn Arabi says the luminous divine presence of light gazed upon the ritual prayer and bestowed upon it its mysteries. Meanwhile, um, yes, yes, um, the luminous divine presence of light gazed upon it, i.e. the ritual prayer, and bestowed upon it its mysteries, al-asrar. For Ibn Arabi, as we said, every form of worship and every act is under the ruling property of a divine name, but the ritual prayer is under the property of light, a nur, wherewith the servant will thereby be alone with God contemplating him. 
Just as the divine epiphany in the beings of the cosmos dispels the darkness of their non-existence by conferring existence upon them, likewise, when God epiphanizes to the heart of his servants in the Qibla, his, his light dispels all otherness, which is essentially non-existence. And the implications of that are huge, because it is within the context of the ritual prayer that uh, the imagination is protected from going wild. And this is a very, very, very important point that many of my artist friends don't like it when I, when I mention this to them. Um, uh, there's a tendency often these days to um, valorize any image that somehow wills up an imagination, whether in art or whether in therapy or whether in dreams. But there's a profound psychology of images and understanding and discernment of where the images are coming from. And Ibn Arabi says the providential nature of the ritual prayer, its context, its mobilization of the body, its following the law, its humbleness, its humility, all this ultimately banishes the function of fancy, the lower function of imagination, and channels it to its higher, higher purpose and higher, higher goal. Um, and also, there's an interesting thing. Another reason why Ibn Arabi associates um, um, prayer with light, because he says um, the ritual prayer is associated with a station of divine jealousy, al-ghira. Because when you're with God, having munajat, he's jealous, you know. You, you're with no other beloved except him. Um, and so how does, it become, how does the prayer itself become a light? Well, Ibn Arabi, very simple. Um, the ritual prayer becomes a light when the physical movement, standing, bowing, bowing sitting, prostrating, the recitation of the Qur'an, um, everything revealed in the divine law is enacted and perfected and performed the way it, it is revealed. Um, Uh, okay, so in the hadith, there's a, there's a famous hadith, um, um, worship God as if you see him. If you do not see him, then he sees you. Uh, and Ibn Arabi uh, uh, discusses shuhud in this context, in the ritual prayer, which um, Qurban kind of, kind of neglects, because this, this is the particular hadith that has prominence in Ibn Arabi's discussion of prayer. It's the hadith of Abdullah And he, he, has, he understands two kinds of vision of God. The first is shuhud, contemplation, and the second is ru'ya, vision. Um, very quickly, uh, shuhud is seeing that which you know. Ibn Arabi makes a distinction between them. Shuhud is contemplating something that you have knowledge of, but somehow now it becomes manifest to you. Um, ru'ya, vision, is a higher form of vision. Um, and it's having vision of something you've never had, any, possibly had no prior uh, knowledge of. To a certain extent, I think Jim can probably elaborate that in a bit more detail. But uh, the significance of this in ritual prayer is because it is. Okay, let me just let me get to that. I'm not going to um, go ahead of myself here. Okay, shuhud. Now, worship God as if you see Him, as if Ibn Arabi means announces the authority of the imagination. Ka'an for Ibn Arabi is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a clause that announces the authority of the imagination. This means that the worshiper is invited is invited by God to visualize God in the qibla. Commenting on the hadith, God is in the qibla of the person praying, Ibn Arabi says, imagine him in your qibla while you are facing him. The condition for this is making, fulfilling all the conditions we just mentioned before. All these creative matrices I just discussed have to be fulfilled for this to happen. Um, Ibn Arabi even uh, uh, describes this mode of visualization as a form of taswir. And we saw earlier how he compared it to um, uh, the, the, the creative process of, of, of Jesus, the creative power of Jesus. Um, therefore the very movements and the recitations of the prayer prescribed by the law are essential for the realization of the eventual theophanic appearances of God in the Qibla which are essentially theophanies of light like, like that of creation now however the imagination can only create the image of God that the worshipper has of him in his own belief 
إله الاعتقاد أو الإله المخلوق في المعتقد أو الاعتقاد. العربي says ultimately look when you have a shuhud of God you can only create the image of God that you have in your belief. It's a delimited image of God and you're all familiar with this notion of um, the Arabi um, uh, image. Um, what is important to, to bear in mind here that the image created by one's imagination during ritual prayer is according to one's own knowledge of God. Ibn Arabi says the first image you have of God in the ritual prayer is of your own construct. He, but he is the one, uh, the worshipper is the one who configured it and it is according to God's own command to do so. This is a very important aspect of Ibn Arabi. Um, this is the limitation, but it's a sanctified delimitation. God is the one who told you, look at the Qibla and visualize me. And therefore, it, this act of visualizing and delimiting God is a sanctified one. Now, uh, and, and so the first image you have of God is a product of, uh, one, one could say, the psychic imagination, if you will, which is um, the, oh God, um, the conjoined imagination. The conjoined imagination. You, you all know this thing, distinction between the conjoined imagination that Ibn Arabi has and the disjoint. Um, a khayal al-muttasil is the one connected to your own psychic uh, you know, constitution. The khayal al-munfasil is a higher form of, of imagination. So, first image you have is really a product of your own psychic kind of constitution and conceptual apparatus, etc. Et so, how do you get out of this, this, this situation? And what is the ontological status of images created by your own psyche? Are they just fantasy? We've just seen that they protect the, the prayer um, in its form, in, in, in its... Um, in its um, in its movements, everything provides a hivs, a protection. It preserves the sanctity of the ritual prayer. And therefore, it has already banished the lower functions of fancy out of the equation. Concluding point. Okay. Uh, very quickly then. Um, okay, during, during, the, during the, the break, I want to, uh, or the seminar, um, I want to talk about idols, icons, and as if images. What is the distinction between idols and icons? and the mode of worshipping God as if in a ritual prayer. And then um, divine and human creativity, the distinctions between them. Um, I want to just jump very quickly now to um, what characterizes the unique Muhammadan modality of ritual prayer. Uh, Ibn Arabi uh, uh, has interprets the, 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 the um, has an interesting reading of the, uh, the hadith um, in lam takun In Arabic, you can stop at in lam takun. You can stop there, which means if you cease to be, then you shall see him. Which means if you are annihilated, then you see him. Now, Qurban in his text seemed to suggest that you know, I know somehow willy nilly, somehow deploying the, the the powers of creative prayer outside the context of everything I've been talking about is possible and easy to come by sometimes. Um, and I felt. James Hillman and his archetypal psychology school for really decontextualizing Ibn Arabi's understanding of imagination and prayer because it really has a specific meaning. Um, according to Ibn Arabi, uh, this aspect of seeing God outside of form, beyond the limited image of your own imagination, something that God confers upon you, like a first perception, is unique to the Muhammadan um, revelation, Muhammadan mode of worship. That's what makes it stand out um, from all other worlds of worship. And ta'abudullah ka'annaka tara, as if you see him, has similarities to idols, similarities to icons, because it's still bound by the limitations of imagination. But the highest form of vision, beyond form, as Shotkiewicz calls it, if all ibadat prepare one to hear the lam yakun, salat is nevertheless the most central one performed every day. 
Um, Ibn Arabi says, that which is ours, i.e. Muhammadan, through a divine revealing, a shadah, other than that of Jesus, is God saying, if you cease to be, then you shall see him. I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, Thank you.